0: morning. So this morning we're going to be going through two different texts. And the first is Romans 8 verses 1 through 2. It says, "Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death." And the second section that we're going to go through, is John 16, verses 5 through 15. It says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have seen, said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Well, good morning. morning. It's wonderful to see you guys. Um, Before we look at the text this morning, I'd ask you, I know we've tried this morning, um, I pray that you'd pray with me as we consider the text this morning. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you do give us. Your word is life, sweeter than honey. Lord, uh, we recognize that uh, through your word you guide us. And so, Lord, as it's tempting to come across, Lord, I pray that, uh, that my voice would not be louder than your voice. And if it ever does, Lord, that you uh, allow that to be forgotten. Lord, we recognize the privilege that we have in Christ. You have not left us alone. You have provided us a helper. And so, Lord, as we are beginning to prepare to look at the, the truths of Romans chapter 8, Lord, I pray that we could come to a point where we could treasure them. Recognize that by your Spirit we walk. So that we might rightly, as Alan has hoped in and Yolanda has as well that, and as this church I know, desires to walk wisely in the midst of this world. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that know how to walk by the Spirit. That when He speaks, we respond. When He guides, we follow. When He instructs, we do. But I pray that we be such people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm leaving. Ever heard those words? Ever said them? Hours leading up to Christ's ministry and it's being fulfilled and finalized. When Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, I'm leaving. That would have hit them heavy. Quite frankly, I've heard those words. And every time, even when it's a positive statement or positive reason that there's a point in transition in people's lives, when I hear those words, I'm leaving I feel their weight. It's a college student who's been contemplating where to go with the next step of life for them as they graduated high school. And after concluding that this would be the next step, best step for them, they set aside their parents in the evening and say, I'm leaving. Heavy words. Exciting, still heavy. It's the family who's relocating because of a new job and a new opportunity. We're leaving. Or it's the daughter or the son who's anticipating getting married. Great things, great opportunities. We all get excited. But when the moment comes when they tell their parents, their brothers, their sisters, I'm leaving, we're filled with excitement, but only for a, mo- for, for a period of time. And then ultimately realize there's a hole now that's going to be put in our lives. Powerful words, they mark a point of transition, even though many times they are done for great reasons, they are often followed for momentary moments of sorrow. In fact, I remember using those words myself. New Life Fellowship, serving with them for four years, and being able to see a small group ministry established within that church. It was on one Sunday afternoon, we were all pulled to one room, and they didn't know why the meeting was... (laughs) called for, so I know that I anticipated that there was something that was important that needed to be said, and my boss, my discipleship pastor who I sat under and served with told them that uh, Jacob has felt the call to go with Adam Bonus to Tri-Cities Washington to church plant, and ultimately I said, I'm leaving. There were not very many dry eyes in that meeting. As much excitement as there was, the hole that we leave in when we transition is enormous sometimes and we can feel it so when Jesus said to his disciples whom he had walked with for three years when he said I'm leaving it was reasonable that their hearts were filled with sorrow he was more than just a friend he was significantly more than just a teacher he was significantly more than just a provider. He was everything, ultimately, for them. In fact, there was a point of transition in the, in the mind of the disciple, I believe. You'll read it if you read in John. Jesus had such a large following that he came across one evening afternoon to speak something very pointed, very hard. In fact, when Jesus had concluded with his words, the crowd said, Who can listen to this? Many deserted. What left? Jesus on that day then turned to his disciples in John chapter 6 verse 67. And Jesus said to the disciples, You do not want to go away also, do you? And You can see in their response their commitment to Christ and what they perceived of how important he was for them. John chapter 6 verse 68 through 69. Simon Peter answered, Simon always usually answers, right? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So when Jesus said, I'm leaving, and the place that I'm going, you cannot follow, and I think it was natural for them to be filled with sorrow. I think when we say those words, one of the reasons why we feel sorrow is, is we recognize that sometimes the hole that's left cannot possibly be filled. And so when we have a friend that's transitioning, that's really close, who will fill that void? And when that void isn't replaced with another close friend, we grieve that loss. And so when the disciples heard Jesus said, when Jesus said, I'm leaving, in their minds, they were thinking, who in the world? Could possibly feel the void which you have been now become in our life? Your presence now being separated from us, who could possibly satisfy what you have become in our lives? And that moment, I think their sorrow was more realistic than what we often know. And it's in that moment Jesus says, as Jonathan read in our text, texts. For today, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, it is for your advantage that I go. We're heading into Romans chapter 8. Before we go through it, I want to just pump on the brakes, just for a moment. Because Jesus was so captivated by the power of the Holy Spirit and how he worked through him. Paul, likewise, recognize the significance of the Spirit of God within the believer's life. That he is going to take opportunity in Romans 8 to build up the treasure that we have in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit which transforms us into the image of Christ. And Here's the reason why I want to bump the brake. There are many perceptions of the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does. And so I wanted to use today, if you would even just allow me, with the time reminding, is to, to, to go back through Scripture and remind ourselves of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and who He is. So that when we go through Romans chapter 8, we rightly treasure what's being presented before us. So, yeah, opting out to keep going with Romans only for the sake of, Let's get our doctrine of the Holy Spirit right so that when Paul talks about him, we know who he is, he is addressing. Just to point this out, up to Romans chapter 8, if you were to guess how many times Paul mentions the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you, how many would you suggest? Some might argue very often. No, it's very few. Four times. When you read Romans chapter 8, 18... Eighteen times Paul is ready to describe how the Christian walks in a way that's righteous before God. Not by the law, but by the Spirit. And so an eighteen emphasis he is going to put before the reader. This is how you walk. This is what is life. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 2, he describes him as the Spirit of life. Read with me, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is no condemnation. We'll come back to this next week. For those who are in Christ Jesus, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. I just want to spend our time together today just to ask the simple question, well, who is he? as we read through this, we might treasure it. Because when Jesus said, I'm leaving, He did not think, I'm leaving that void that I have, that presence that I have been in your life, empty. It will be filled. And it would be to your advantage that I leave. And in that mindset, He teaches about who the Holy Spirit is. Alright? That's what I want to do for us this morning and to consider. I am, to be fair, thrilled the real that we're in Romans chapter eight, it is deeply encouraged, and I think many of us will be. I hope rejoice at what God has provided in us in these these verses. But before we go forward, let's let's set our minds on learning about who the Holy Spirit is. Which then I preface with this: whereas uncommon it is, or as common it is, that the Holy Spirit might be manipulated, manipulated. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a thing. He's not a force. He's not a metaphor. He's not a feeling. He's not an idea. He is the person of the Godhead. He is our helper. He is an eternal divine being just as significant, as incredible, as wonderful as the Father and the Son. Which leads me to my first point. Who is he? I'm not going to, as much as I would love, to pour the Scriptures out. I will mention some as we go through this, and some will be presented before you. But one, we recognize this, He is eternal. As the author in Hebrews will argue, He is the eternal Spirit. Of the same holiness and quality of the person of Christ. He has eternally enjoyed the fellowship of God always. And while He is eternal... There is nothing that is hidden from His sight. He knows all things. This might, if He knows all things, this one is probably the one that's greatest to our benefit as we develop our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Consider with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now this would be to your advantage. For the law can reveal your sinfulness. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. But if there is one who dwells within you because you are in Christ, who is better equipped than anyone to guide you into righteousness? The one who knows all things, even the depths of God, and while He is eternal, eternal while He knows all things, let's not set aside He is not, and and think that He is an it. He is a person. He feels. He has feeling. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul will make this abundantly clear for the reader and the church. He is a person who has feeling. And so he encourages those in Ephesus do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The same word used elsewhere is the term which produces sorrow. The disciples grieved when Jesus talked about being killed. The same word which the rich young ruler grieved when he couldn't satisfy the law by selling all his possessions. As Christ requested. The disciples grieved when he hearing that one of them would betray, the betray Christ. Christ grieved when he prayed in the garden. And the same term that's used elsewhere is identified for this person of the Holy Spirit. In that he feels. And he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. It's so easy. I don't know what it is in my own culture where we think of the Spirit as this this it, this force, this feeling, or this unidentified person. No, He's a person who has feeling, who has His own will, and He cares. And He has played an incredible role in creation. It only takes two verses for the Holy Spirit to be introduced to the reader within the Scriptures. Was it not in Galatian Or not Galatians, excuse me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. One of the previous early church fathers, Ambrose, said, There is nothing by which the Holy Spirit can be said not to have made. Yes, we know that the Father wills that there be cats. And it is by the the Son he delighted to make that manifestation of cats to exist by speaking it. But the means by which it took place was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Job solidifies this in Job chapter 26 verse 13 through 14. Rounding out our theology of the Holy Spirit, introducing ourselves to who he is is vital. I think it's a necessary step to treasure the th- truths in Romans 8. Often we assume that we have the right information to read it and so then that without actually the discipline of preparing ourselves to read the scriptures it's amazing how much Paul, when he writes these things, understands already that they know what the Holy Spirit is. I think that we sometimes make assumptions of who He is. This is why I labor with you. As Job said in twenty-six, thirteen through 14 By His breath the heavens are cleared. His hands and his pierce the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of His way and how faint a word we hear of Him. Meaning, as Job is saying, by his mighty thunder, who can understand? He's, he's there, we can't see him, but his power is often clearly seen. And so while he takes care over his creation, as a person who has feelings, who has a will, he creates, Psalms 104.30, you send forth your spirit. They are created, and you renew the face of the ground. He sustains Job 33 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If there's any hope, if there's any hope to be made into a new creation, who is best equipped to accomplish this? This is what our theology does. It helps us to understand who we lean on in order to find the hope. Who will make us like Christ? But the one who creates all things and treasures Christ. But He's not just the one who creates and sustains all things. He also assists, he guides, he admonishes, he aids. We've seen his presence and his activity historically. I mentioned it at creation. but Remember when the tabernacle was being created and built? Was it not the Holy Spirit who assisted Bazael? Consider with me Exodus 31, 2-5. So I have called my, my, by name Bazal, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah. No one, no one will be questioning who this man is. The detail is there. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom. And understanding and knowledge in all kinds of craftsmanship. To make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze. The cutting of stones for setting and in carving of wood. That he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. These these texts are helpful for the artist, aren't they not? Who guides the painter's paintbrush? To the best ability. For the person assists humanity. But he also guides, just as we saw in the Pentateuch. Moses was led by the Spirit. And it was God who enabled other men to rule and be guided by the Spirit as well. In Nehemiah, he admonishes. Nehemiah 9.30. As Nehemiah rebukes. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your Spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear, therefore you gave them into the hand. Of the peoples of the lands. And he aids. You can see the work of the Holy Spirit. Throughout all scripture. Was it not Othniel. In the book of Judges. Who was aided by the Spirit to judge rightly. It was Gideon who was aided by the Spirit. To walk in strength. It was Jephthah who was aided by the Spirit. To conquer. It was Samson who was strengthened. By the Holy Spirit. It was David who was enlightened by him. Elijah emboldened by him. And all the prophets in which we read in the Old Testament inspired by him. So to say, when Jesus says, I'm leaving. Know your advantage. We have, you, you can just use the Old Testament by itself. And when he says, there's a helper. And your advantage when I leave will come. The void which is left when I leave will be Fails adequately, perfectly, and in satisfactory. In fact, it's Peter himself who questions Christ concerning these words. Who will later proclaim, it's true. In fact, he will say in 1 Peter, as we looked over the summer. That when the prophets proclaimed the day in which the Holy Spirit would indwell the believer. They were jealous of it. Tell me. Just considering the Old Testament, who could possibly fill the void? Well, we know this to be true. We develop our theology. But before we get to the specific of it, I guess, let's just see point two. We've recognized who he is. But just, let's just recognize and remember what the Holy Spirit's role was in the life of Christ. John, chapter 3. This is one of the, one that, one of the passages that causes, cause, should cause our minds to marvel. John chapter 3, verse 31. John the Baptist is proclaiming the way for Christ. And look how he describes Christ and the ministry which will follow him. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What is he? What he has seen and heard of that he testifies. No one receives his testimony speaking of the Christ. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this that God is true. And then he says these things. For he, Christ, whom God sent, speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Some of your translations might read or from he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the spirit without limit. The way that we see the Spirit's work within the life of Christ is extraordinary. Consider this. God incarnated Himself amongst humanity, not by the will of God, but by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. How did you have a virgin give birth to the Messiah? Joseph was beside himself. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. I live in a progressive mind, or a progressive world, in which questions the, the possibility of a virgin birth. I marvel at that, that, that criticism. For the the same critic will acknowledge that creation had to exist by God. And if God is able to form humanity from the dust of the ground, I think it's quite possible for God to give life in the womb without another man's help. And so how did it happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we read the Gospels, if John's testimony is true... The spirit that is granted to Christ without limit should be extraordinary. And so how was it that Jesus was able to as a 12-year-old to cause the Pharisees and the Sadducees to marvel, to be dumbfounded how how he understood the Old Testament. How is it that he was able to create water or wine out of water? Have you ever wondered wonder these things? How was it that he was able to answer? This is one of my favorites, and I've said this many times. That when the Pharisees and the Sadducees think a thought, the text says he answers them. How was he able to do that? Well, I wonder if there's one who knows the depths of God and the depths of your soul. It reveals this information to the Son who has the Holy Spirit without limit all access, all resource granted through the Spirit of God. You ever wondered how Jesus could stand in the midst of a fierce storm and rebuke the winds and have it come to a silent calm? How is it that Jesus could cast out a demon with one word, go? Except for if he he truly did have the Holy Spirit with power, these things make very much sense. Have you ever wondered how Jesus could heal the sick, restore the lame, feed the 5,000? Have you ever wondered how Jesus could describe things to come that have not happened yet? Or how he could describe the deep mysteries of God? One of my favorites is when the Pharisees think that they have a question that Jesus cannot possibly answer. And so they bring a bizarre situation before him, considering a woman who's married to a man he dies, she marries her brother, his brother he dies and he, she does this seven times who's her husband in, the, in eternity? one, Jesus doesn't respond and say well, there's something wrong with a woman uh, marries seven brothers and all of them die, stay away at the last brother, right? Now what Jesus does is, as you do not understand, and he reveals things that no one possibly could know unless you're God. And these things were revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit in which he says in heaven, we will not be given into marriage. We'll be like the angels. Who knows these things? But unless the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to him. Have you ever wondered how Jesus could possibly bear the weight of God's wrath For you and the world. I'm leaving. It's to your advantage. The helper who will come and aid you will more than satisfy the void that will happen when I leave. The Holy Spirit will enable you. And as we've walked through the glitter of Romans, we have seen. That there were both Jews and Gentiles. And not to say that they're the only ones who've done it. Church history, we've seen it throughout all time. Trying to replace the void of which how to walk the Christian life with something other than the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul will say the righteous man will live from faith to faith. And the Holy Spirit is enabled within the believer as a result of faith to help as a person guide the believer into life. I love that Paul says the spirit of life guides you. Have you ever wondered, one last more, without limit, how Jesus can anticipate his death and how he resurrects? I mentioned that there were four times in which Paul mentions the Holy Spirit prior to chapter 8. The first time is in the first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with the power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. How did Jesus get out of the grave? This is to your advantage that I leave. For when I leave, the Helper will come. And so when Paul gets to Romans 8, he's ready. Open the doors 18 times. Flood your mind with the advantage that you have in Christ. Everything that enabled him throughout his ministry, throughout all eternity, is now at your side. And so why do you need the law? You don't need the law. You need the Spirit of the law. The one who enables the man to live to the fullness of God's standard. So when Jesus says, I am leaving, it is recognized and Peter will proclaim later of this incredible advantage they saw in Christ. As he goes to Cornelius' house, Jesus of Nazareth, they taught. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power. And And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's my... 20,000 foot flyover, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And when we get to Romans chapter 8 when Paul introduces us to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life there's a context in which we understand these things. If it's true that the Holy Spirit knows the deepest parts of God there's nothing hidden in your life that he can't search out. You may be able to hide it from your wife I'm going to point three now. What does this mean? You might be able to hide it from your spouse. There's one, no, not one it, not one force, not one thing, one person that you cannot hide it from. The Holy Spirit. And He will guide, He will sustain, He will aid you and k- killing the sin that once killed you and point you towards life. How is a man transformed? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has atoned for our sins. He has satisfied the wrath that was due towards you. You have been saved by Christ. But Christ has also wanted you to be like Christ. And so that he has provided you the helper and the means for that to be accomplished. And so I find myself in a generation where there might be a lot of confusion of how that looks in the practical life. And so we have come to interpret the Holy Spirit in a variety of different ways. For we know it is true that He will teach us and guide us and sanctify us, call us from our sins. But I have recognized that in, this, in the season that I have been in ministry and leading in ministry, that there has been these temptations of how, while well, we acknowledge that this Holy Spirit is a person, there are these tendencies to treat Him other than that. And so I've grown up in a generation... And I would say that none of us are excused from this this reliance. That there are some of us who are tempted to treat the Spirit of God as a feeling. And the Spirit of God is not a feeling. In fact, the Spirit of God will change the way we live at times. And called you to go against your feelings. Romans chapter 6. Paul reminds us, you cannot make the Spirit of God a feeling because as chapter 6, he warns us, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its cravings, its feelings, its lusts. In fact, the Spirit of God will actually call you contrary to it, almost to the point where it feels like it's killing you. I can't tell you, I probably lean this way. Where there are moments where I feel like, I feel the the, the person of the Holy Spirit calling me to seek out reconciliation. But I don't feel like it. Or like I I need to pursue the ministry of forgiveness, but I don't feel like it. And sometimes I feel like I don't want to serve or sacrifice or speak the truth. That's not who the person of the Holy Spirit is. He's not a feeling. And He'll call you to go against your very feelings. And if that becomes a culture within a church, the Holy Spirit is a feeling, you have a foundation for disaster. Agreed? We don't pursue reconciliation because we feel like it. And you can feel it. The Spirit of God, the person of God, with all authority, all wisdom, all knowledge, He knows your inner being. And you, no, we grieve the person when we say, your information is wrong. People will tend to treat the Spirit of God as a feeling, and that is the very reason why we don't forgive, serve, sacrifice, pursue justice. Because we just don't feel like it. But I think there's another temptation too, and I see some of myself in this as well. We tend to treat the Spirit of God as wisdom. And when I say wisdom, I mean knowledge. I think Tri-Cities, we are a very skilled society. And so when we read the Word of God, we take the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, and we are informed by it, and then we treat the Spirit of God as our encyclopedia. And so that when we go to confront sin, we do it as the book or the letter of the law rather than through the Spirit. And so we're not concerned about other people's feelings, we're concerned about being right with our information, while I recognize that I can be there, we can have a theology of forgiveness, understand the value of serving, recognize the reward of great sacrifice and service. It's worthless if we're not being moved by the per- person who says, do these things. In fact, was not it not the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who knew the wisdom of God? Which Jesus, of all passages, I think, comes unhinged. Matthew 23, Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves on the chair of Moses, on the chair of information, the chair of knowledge. They know the words of God. But in verse 3, therefore all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say these things and do not do them. I think there is a temptation, even for reliance, I think that once to treasure the right teaching of God's Word, that we come to the point, well, this is the only, we're, we're the only church that's doing it right, right? Or that we have the right interpretation for Romans chapter 7. We become divisive with other people denying that the Spirit's work in all churches. So I think that we all recognize that as God gathers a church together, we have these different ten, tendencies to make the spirit other than he is. Merely knowledge to us or merely a feeling. No, he's a person. So what has God gifted the church to help us perfectly, not perfectly, rightly know when we are acting by feeling and by knowledge. Instead of a person. The church. I'm so grateful for the elders that we have here at Reliance. Thankful for Alan for pursuing the time to even... Consider it. That I recognize that I can be arrogant, maybe boastful, maybe... No. No, I've never been arrogant. But who will correct me? Like, I can recreate the person of the Holy Spirit within my life as a feeling. But in you, the Spirit also dwells. And that we pursue unity with one another. That we love one another. And we say, well, the person of the Holy Spirit guides all of us. And we live in an American society that it's only individualism. It's me and the Holy Spirit and my Bible. Well, that's a great. Early church fathers would say that's dangerous for becoming a heresy or hypocrite. And, but the God has provided the church to be able to guide one, walk with one another in the Spirit. And so when Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, he's speaking to a church who has been saved. By the Spirit who walks with the Spirit who is ruled by the Spirit who recognize that He will aid them, instruct them, and encourage them to do things at times they don't want to do and when they do it, it will feel like they're killing themselves. But those things which the Spirit enable us to do is towards life. I have tried over my life and I know that I will not always... Be perfect in all regards. But I have known and I have witnessed and I have been encouraged by people who have been willing to side with the Spirit's prompting rather than their own knowledge. And to watch them walk out in obedience, to lose the things of the world, to gain the life provided in the Spirit, it has been a joy to watch. And every time I see it in you, I see the Spirit edify me. And that's what the church does. And then Paul will encourage us in 1 Corinthians 4.1, I was reminded of this, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Well, how do we become servants of Christ? By, by walking with the Spirit. And he's going to talk about this in chapter 12. And being stewards of the mysteries of God, there's this attitude and there's this knowledge of, the, of what God does in, through us. I don't know how You walk with Christ without the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And Paul is going to build a theology of the Holy Spirit, not just in you, but in every one of us as a result of seeing what Christ has done in all of us, the Spirit works and moves through a city, through a community, through families. So I pray, as we just began to understand the theology of the Holy Spirit, that as we come to Romans chapter 8, we would open our minds and our hearts to treasure the advantage given to us. He knows you. And some of you know what He's been telling you to do and you have grieved him, and you are not responding to him, and you've made him just a feeling. He's a person. Some of you are walking with the Spirit. Keep going, and encourage those who are struggling in their sins, or are struggling with the life in front of them. And let us be a people who are known for walking, not by our own wisdom, but by the Spirit of God, who leads us as I love what Paul has said in Romans 8, chapter 2, to introduce, introduce us to the spirit, the spirit of life. and With that, I would ask you to pray with me. Lord, I pray. I am excited. I am thrilled that we are at Romans chapter 8. for The treasures that are there are profound. But Lord, right, as we walk through them, Lord, let us be a people that don't... Uh, Treat the, the gift, the helper that you provided to us as optional. It's a feeling or is it to diminish the role of his impact in our life. Lord, it's through your word you correct us. It's through your word the Spirit proclaims these things are true. And Lord, it is so easy to say that, um, that we, got, we can walk through this life by our own wisdom. But that's not how you've asked us to walk. You have asked us to walk by the Spirit and Lord I pray that as we do that we will kill the flesh and the things of the world that they have to offer us so that we might treasure whom the Spirit is make, uh, making us into, which is Christ. in Jesus name. amen let's stand. I can.